0: Well, you're looking great. Thanks for joining me here on my podcast. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> We've you been bet. having a blast reliving old memories with good friends.
1: Yeah, no, it's been great. It's been great watching them and and remembering things that I had long forgotten. Yeah, oh, wow. Uh, with with some other people, uh, no surprise there. But yeah, no, it's it's fabulous that you're revisiting just an amazing time in certainly my life, and I'm sure yours too. So it was very formative.
0: Yeah, it was an amazing time in TV news. You know, when we were there, we were doing this for about a, you know, 20 year period transitioning from an old school film uh, life into videotape, live reporting, the expansion of news outside of just, you know, five and 11 live things. Um, Right. And and I always thought that uh, at least for the most part, while we were there, the the uh the importance of storytelling was, was very uh, uh far in the front and yeah. and I know that changed over time, but I mean I know you were a great storyteller. You had to love those times.
1: Oh, I, I did love them. And and you're right. We had Certainly when I was at KGW and, you know, before KGW, I was in Eugene for a few years and then the little tiny market of Eureka, California, but you're absolutely right. There was a focus on good writing and good storytelling and at KGW, of course, in collaboration with our videographers and that you're right. That was in the forefront, whereas it transitioned at some point to more a focus on well, don't go longer than a minute 30, or give me a 30 second, you know, piece of a story. And it became, as you know, became more about quantity than it did about quality. Um, and I mean, I, there's some, there's still some good quality work going on out there. And I see it from time to time. But yeah, we went through that transition. Yeah. And, yeah. and as you know, you remember Carl, uh, and you referenced it, there was a morning show, a brief one, and and when I first came in, there were no noon shows, and there was a five o'clock show, I think, and 11 o'clock show, and then, of course, now it's wall-to-wall, and boy, one of the local stations has a newscast on, it seems like, 24 hours a day. That's
0: yeah, kind of the CNN of Portland, uh, yeah, right. and I hesitate to judge People or journalism, because it is a it is a um, representation of the time you're in, and right. and 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 the people that are doing it now are are doing what they need to do to keep it uh, corporately effective and yeah. uh, and and technologically tech, technologically. Uh, up to the standard of what's going on. You know, the, the end of my career, uh, we it got into so much social media, it, you know, it, it changed from the story you were telling to how quickly can you get something on your, uh, your social media page so that you can attract right. attention and get hits and bring hopefully people to the newscast. That was a bigger transition at the end.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. We, we were there through the technological revolution. I mean, I remember, I have, a, I have a photo of myself that one of our old videographers, Tim Herman, took while I was on a road trip with him. It's a black and white photo, and I'm sitting in the satellite truck somewhere, typing a story on a typewriter. <laughs> right. And right with, with carbon paper in the, in, in the typewriter. Right. As, as I say, when I talk to people about that and I show them that photo, that was uh, long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. But, uh, uh, you know, and then, and I can still remember those first computers coming into the KGW newsroom. Our old friend Jeff Douglas, who was the executive producer, kind of introduced, introduced those into the newsroom. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it was revolutionary and it changed everything we did. And, and, you know, the internet now makes everything just so immediate. And that's why, as you say, you've got to get out there on your show. You can't wait till the newscast. No kidding. Can't wait to write that story. You've got to get it out there because you've got hundreds, if not thousands of other competing outlets you know, looking for eyeballs on that same story. So yeah, we were lucky. We were there at a time when we were able to spend a little bit more time cultivating our stories and writing them.
0: And you mentioned a road trip. Uh, I, I, I've been away long enough now. I've been away seven years, but, uh, you know, we used to go places and and spend the time to do things. I mean, I just saw something on the web, uh, reliving Ann Curry's news career in Portland. She went to Nicaragua with Kevin Feltz and uh, uh, you know John Tuttle went to uh, China and Vietnam. I interviewed Mike Donahue. He went to China with the governor, uh, and and we worked for King Broadcasting, which was not afraid to spend right. money to send people. Uh, right. That uh, what what places did you go? Do you remember? Uh, on on great stories.
1: Well, I didn't. To be honest, I didn't travel a lot when I was at KGW. I traveled a lot after KGW, but I, I didn't tra- the The primary big trip I took was I did cover the war in Kosovo. Uh, I went along with Mercy Corps. Oh, so... yeah!
0: Again, what a great example of 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 yeah. uh, connecting yeah. with a local agency and right. telling a world story.
1: Right. And that was that was really an eye opening and, and life changing experience for me, just because I was in refugee camps. And oh. the, the story, I, I mean, the, the the biggest impression that was left on me is I remember sitting in a Mercy Corps office in Macedonia, and I was talking to um, a Kosovar who had fled the situation in Kosovo and had made it with his family to this office. And I'm talking to the guy and he's telling me about all of these terrible things that he and his family had gone through to make it there. And I said, so what did you do there? And he said, oh, I was a surgeon in in Kosovo. And I thought, what struck me was I thought to myself, you know, if this guy was in Portland, Oregon right now he'd be making a lot of money and have this amazing career and would be probably a pillar of the community and this guy has been forced you know to flee his home and flee his country and in essence live in a refugee camp with his family so it just it just made me appreciate how lucky we are yeah to live where we are and and at the time do what we do and have the benefits we have and it just gave me an appreciation for Uh, the struggles other people have. And, and, you know, as you and I knew a lot, we saw that at a local level. We covered a lot of stories of people who were far more disadvantaged than us. And that was one of the great things about being in that business, I think, is it always gave you perspective on your own life as it relates to what's going on out there in the world and in the community.
0: Which is, you know, one of the great things about journalism is it does affect you uh, and, 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 and it, and it moves you. And, and then if you do it right, it moves others.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And the yes.
1: opportunity, the
0: opportunity to do that, uh in the forum that we were working and the fact that they sent you where they went, who went with you, by the way, you remember the photographer?
1: Uh, Brian Robertson oh, what uh, was the videographer <laughs> who, who went with me. I love yeah. Brian. I yeah.
0: I still see Brian on Facebook. He's working for the school district, and uh, there, there's yeah. a guy who there's a guy who was a good shooter, like all the guys we worked with, and women who were videographers, and um, it was just a blast to be around.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. We were in, so we we went to Macedonia, then we took this torturous trip over into Albania, because there were more refugee camps over there. So we're in Albania and the Mercy Corps guy who took us over there had to go do something else. So we had to figure out how to get back to Macedonia because ultimately we were gonna go home. And so we hired an Albanian cab driver. Well, the Macedonians don't like the Albanians. They're they're like this. And so at one point we went through a checkpoint uh, with Macedonian soldiers with the equivalent of AK-47 rifles. And they pulled the Albanian guy out of the car. They pulled us out of the car. And um, you could sit, you, well, nobody could communicate because the Albanian couldn't speak English or Macedonian. The Macedonians, could. We none of us could speak the same language. They were doing whatever they did to interrogate this guy, which was a challenge because they didn't speak the same language. And they were looking at us very suspiciously. And at one point they, they opened up the trunk and Brian in his little suitcase had um, uh, a novel by Tom Clancy that he had been reading. He had taken on the flight and was reading and they picked it up and they were looking at it very suspiciously and looking at us. I don't know if they thought it was some you know, manifesto or something that uh, was going against what they thought or what they were doing. And he, he's looking at it and Brian at one point says, Ah, so you've read Tom Clancy before. <laughs> the wrong th- and, and then <laughs> the guy looks at us, and I, I kind of elbow Brian and say, Brian. No. Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that really kind of captures the spirit of Brian Roberts. And <laughs> yeah, in the middle, <laughs>
0: interrogation and machine guns, he's going, Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Hey let's sit down and do a book group (laughs) yeah right exactly exactly Uh, yeah so uh no it was uh, it was uh it was an amazing experience and and you mentioned that we were just fortunate to work with some of the best videographers in the business quite frankly not only at KGW but even more broadly
0: uh, let's see. Uh, you you came from Eugene. Um, yeah. Did you? I know. Did you at any point anchor the morning news? And the, I know you did the noon news a little bit. Yeah, uh, I did. You did the morning shift a little bit.
1: Yeah, I did. I I, I yeah. came to KGW in 1988, hired by our friend and the person you interviewed, Regan Ramsey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and still to this day, extremely thankful for him for acknowledging my talent and finding me in a sea of three-quarter inch resume tapes yep. uh, and, and pulling me up here. Um, yeah, so I started and I actually in 88 and by the end of 88, I was anchoring the morning show. Uh, you may recall our, our friend Nancy Francis uh, went on maternity leave. Uh, she had one of her children and so they had me fill in for her when she went on maternity leave so I started anchoring with Sharon Mitchell and so Sharon and I anchored the morning show and the noon show for oh I don't know how long it was maybe a a a year or so together and then you know kind of all hell broke loose when uh, they sold the station and new management and a new news director came in and I was no longer on the uh, I was pulled off of the morning show. I think you can relate to uh, being pulled off a show um, unceremoniously. But I was pulled off the morning show at that point, noon, morning and noon. But then I continued to anchor. I anchored every different show yeah. at some point or another. And was- you were the
0: u- utility right. infielder of anchor right. newscast.
1: <laughs> yes, I was, I was, yeah. <laughs> if they, they needed somebody to fill in at the last minute because somebody got sick or something, they would yank me in and say, Hey, do this show.
0: Well, that, that's a That's a great skill to have though. Uh, and, and yeah. you get it the way that you did. It's like, Hey, we need somebody to fill in for somebody and you do it and you get the skill and you get the anchor and then they, and then people know that you can do that part of the job. Um, and, and, and then, I mean, that's how I got my anchor job basically was uh, I'd done some anchoring of sports and, you know, somebody was gone on a weekend and I, and I said, I'll do it. And yeah. I'd never anchored a newscast in my life. I've always given scores and highlights, uh, right. got a little bit of skill to say, Hey, uh, thanks for doing that. Can you do the morning next week? And, you know, and over time, you, you, uh, if you do it well and you, you know, you find your, you, you land in a spot that hopefully, uh, works out for you. You, um, that later on we created this four o'clock newscast, which was a big deal. And, uh, you got first at
1: four. First at four, yeah, first at four.
0: You got to sign that with you and Kathy Smith, right?
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, and you know, I don't know if you know, it only lasted nine months.
0: Oh, I do know that, Larry, because yeah. I re- I remember uh, Dennis Williamson was our general manager at that point, who's a yep. ma- neighbor of mine, by the way, up here in Blackview Ranch. Uh, and, and I remember the speech in the newsroom about we're in this for the long haul, uh, and And Channel 6 had done a four o'clock newscast about a year prior to that, and it didn't last. Uh, And I kind of was a little skeptical. Uh, But I remember the speech of, and they've hired a lot of people. I think they hired your wife, they hired Rosie. They did. They did. The the good
1: news about that show was (laughs) I got a wife out of the deal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So we were on at four o'clock, and the idea was that, you know, news watchers would then lead into the five o'clock. But uh, nine months was it
1: (laughs) yeah nine months and it was a wild ride for nine months and and what i mean by that is they you may recall they gave us an immense amount of freedom on that show their idea was have some fun with it be irreverent uh we did this weird thing uh you remember wayne bleesner longtime producer god rest his soul he he passed away um a few months ago um and he would sit in what we call the feed room, right? And he would take in all these feeds from NBC and CNN and these different sources that we would use to create stories that we would put on our newscasts. And we had this thing we called Wayne's World, and we would just go back to Wayne. Hey, what'd you find today? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, what's going on on the feeds today, Wayne? Did you find anything interesting? And Wayne would say, well, yeah, there's this bizarre story from Australia, and he'd show kangaroos or something, you know? And the cool
0: part about that is is Wayne was not a broadcaster. He didn't have a broadcaster's voice. He was kind of, you know, a little bit slow and and talked to things like that. So, so so different yeah. from a newscast. This Wayne's World thing uh, uh, kind of flipped the page. It was funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I remember another uh, memory from that show is, and I, I don't remember a, all the details, but we, you know, we always teased the five o'clock. So at you know four forty-five or whatever, we'd go back to Pete Schulberg sitting at that little set in the in the uh, newsroom, and I remember one time we went back to Pete. And I don't know if he didn't have his microphone on. Something wasn't working with the microphone, and he's talking, and we're not hearing anything. And Kathy and I just uh, looked back at the camera and said, Hold on. Uh, Hey, can somebody get Pete a microphone? And so somebody, you know, we literally sat there in silence for like 30 seconds while somebody grabbed Pete a microphone. And then Kathy said, start again pete what, <laughs> what's going on at five so yeah it was that kind of show yeah uh, it was that uh, and it was really fun for that period of time but you know they didn't let it develop long enough i think to really get a following and be a money maker
0: uh and it might have been a victim of oprah at channel two yeah because because yeah. that was about the time that she was coming out and she got real big and so yeah. trying to yeah. compete with that and so so eventually we stole Oprah from Channel Two and got it Channel Eight. <laughs> yeah,
1: right, right, right. Exactly. That was a big deal. Yeah, is you know we we signed the contract with Oprah and then that became the big lead in and, and you know you can certainly debate all that happened around Oprah and follow. Oprah follow-on stories and stuff but it certainly helped it, it gave us a bigger audience going into the five o'clock show so
0: yes thinking about that four o'clock they hired your wife Rosie Tom right. was the uh, um uh consumer reporter specifically yep. for the show. and then I remembered Larry they hired a whole bunch of other people because that's the same time that we started doing news cut-ins on CNN and we were doing them like huh. ev- every hour you know we would do those things. So they hired a a whole bunch of producers. I think Joe Art was one of those. So that they would produce those. So every hour, one of our anchors was sitting at that desk and doing a three or four minute update that they plugged into the CNN there on the cable. Um, Yeah. And, uh, but a lot of those people lost their jobs nine months later, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing I wanted to go back to quickly, you mentioned the utility uh, the utility infielder role I played. I don't know if you remember, I also did weather there and I did sports there. Just just fill in, just fill in. I remember, I, I, saw, I saw your interview with Jim Little, by the way. That was great to, to see him again and he went on vacation or something and the weekend weather guy had just left to go somewhere else and we were in a newsroom meeting and somebody said anybody around here know how to do weather <laughs> and i said well you know i've done weather before uh, you know and of course i had started my career doing weather when you know you had uh, a plexiglass board with a map and you drew clouds on it and uh, put Sticky numbers on it, so yeah, I actually did weather there a few times and did sports on the weekends a couple of times. You you were probably on vacation or something at the time, and yeah, you and now Becker.
0: That, now that you mention the weather, I do remember that you know for a week and a half or something like that. And and again, that's another skill that makes you a valuable employee. You can you know yeah, I remember, I, I remember that uh, a while back they uh, Keely Chalmers, they right. her yeah. into weather, and all of a sudden she was doing weekend weather. I mean it's it's a yeah job security when you're a utility infielder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in our um, exchanges to set this up, I mentioned a series that I remember you doing that you may not remember. Uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about, it cause I think that's relevance now. Uh, do you remember Shades of Grey? Did I it... don't, okay. you know, I,
1: I hate to say it, Carl. I hate to say it. Um, the title jogged a little, there's a neuron in there somewhere <laughs> that, that contains that, but uh, I don't remember. Uh, shades of gray
0: yeah well I I, the reason one of the reasons I remember it it, it, this is the way my brain works is I remember I remember things that happened as far as where we were and this happened while we were in that temporary newsroom in the studio studio a or studio b where we had all the tables lined up around because for about two months we were remodeling and redoing and so I I just remember you know there was a some tvs where we watched I remember watching your stories and yeah the the best I can remember is it was a series about race in portland where um, where you interviewed a lot of uh, uh, African Americans or people of color, a lot of them who were older just to to try to get a perspective of how race had changed in Portland over time uh, and and I think the I think the shades of gray uh, title had to do with the fact that you know those of us who are white looking at an issue of color we have one perspective people who are of color looking at how they're being treated have another so you've got these two different colors coming together and and I think you know the the way you presented was it, it's kind of a gray area because we all have different perspectives so
1: yeah and you know you had mentioned in your emails to me that you know what what is that perspective now yeah and, and how would I view that same situation today and I'd like to be able to tell you that I think we have made a lot of progress there, but in some ways I, I, I'm concerned we haven't. And it's, uh, it's a challenging situation as I look across the country and even in Portland, you know, Portland's still predominantly a white place. And boy, you look at since, since I came to the market, the whole gentrification, uh, situation over in north and northeast portland where a lot of traditional wonderful black neighborhoods and black communities have been pushed out because though because those neighborhoods are close into the city and all of a sudden they became desirable for people who were more affluent and with more money and so um in in some ways i'm hopeful because i'm I'm an optimistic hopeful guy there i'm I am glad to see the conversation really being a a conscious conversation now as opposed to a a kind of a subconscious thought process. Um, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's still very much shades of gray. And, you know, the questions you and I need to ask each other are as relatively privileged white people and as relatively privileged white men, what's our role in all this? And how can we... Make an impact and make some change on what's going on out there in the world and in our community.
0: Well, and I, I look back at my career as a news person and a feature reporter. As I, I I I know that I didn't have a great impact on that. I was a little bit naive and and uh, oblivious to some of those things. And talking with some of our our colleagues like uh, Lou Frederick and uh, uh, I've had some conversations with Sharon Mitchell about it was so. I was so unaware of, of how things were working. So yeah. I, I, I didn't have an impact on, on that part of our community when I was doing some reporting. Um, here's another one I wanted to bring up. I hope you remember this conversation. If not, I, oh, by the way, it, so in my memory, if we go back to the archives of KGW someday, you know those clipboards that used to have all the dates when things you know, aired? Um, yeah. It would have been it would have been a late 89 or early ninety when you did that because that's when we were in that transition from, yeah. Uh, yeah. from those two studios. So someday we'll get back in there, and we'll find it. And, and see okay. how, All good, right. how, how good you were at predicting.
1: <laughs> so that, that is indeed long, long ago in a galaxy far, <laughs> far away.
0: <laughs> that, and what I remember, again, about where I was and what things were happened was in like February or March of 90, we were back into that remodeled newsroom and stood and looked at a monitor and watched us attack Baghdad. You know, oh, so th- yeah. it, in my mind, I can yeah. picture where I was standing yeah. when I watched things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's a conversation you and I had, and I hope you remember it because I, I think we missed the boat on this, Larry. At one point you and I discussed doing a story, more of a feature story together, two reporters on one story. Do you remember that? Okay.
1: Yeah, I do.
0: And, and, and I don't, and, and, you know, we thought, well, let's find the story and, and then we can tell it, you know, I would tell one part of it. You would tell another part and they would come together, uh, you know, not something goofy like I do a stand up and turn to Larry, but just, you know, right. but but two people, two storytellers combining to tell a story. So you do remember that conversation? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Good. Well, we never did it, but no. I'm, I'm telling you, man, I think we sh- we should have. And I thought that, I think now looking back, that could have become a huge franchise. We could have taken that show on the road, you yeah. know. What if, yeah. what, if, what if Charles Corral and Bob Dotson started doing stories <laughs> together? Uh, and, right. you know, we had to find the right stories. But, you know, to sit down and write something together with a, 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 and with working with different photographers, uh, I, I just, uh, I, it was a great idea. We didn't finish it, Larry.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, my guess is, I don't remember exactly when we had that conversation, but I bet it was post Regan Ramsey. Oh, because if Regan was there, we would have just run to his office and I guarantee you he would have said, try it. Oh, yeah. If it doesn't work, we (laughs) won't do it again. But Carl, Larry, give it a shot. What the hell?
0: (laughs) And I actually, I I think I remember the story I had done that led us to that conversation. I did it with the the great Milt Ritter um, and it was about a guy whose job it was to paint uh, he painted storefront signs, you know, those big, you know, 50% off and things like that. And he, he, he was an independent contractor. And he would go to one store, he would paint things and he would do, and he was a great artist. Uh, yeah. and, I, and we had done that. And and you and I talked about
1: having
0: to done, having done that together or find something like that to do together. So.
1: Yeah. But, if you, I mean, that, that concept of putting together two good feature reporters And looking at something from your unique and different perspectives and figuring out a way to knit that together. I mean, that's what we were talking about doing. Yeah. So, you know, interestingly, speaking of the great Milt Ritter, you did a story with Milt Ritter that is one of the most memorable stories you ever did when I was at KGW. Do, do, you, do you have any idea what that one might be? It was in the most confined space you can think of.
0: Uh, riding elevators.
1: Riding elevators. <laughs> <laughs> riding elevators. It was a classic example. It, it, if you went to some of our news directors and you had said, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to go do a story about people riding up and down in elevators, they would have said, sorry. Sorry. Go, go cover this trial. Or look at the police blotter, but you guys did this brilliant story of what it was like. The, it, it, in essence, it was the etiquette, right. and it was the diplomacy, and all those things of writing. And I, did you do it in big pink? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and let me tell you, both Milton and I,
0: both Milton and I, were almost sick to our stomachs after we'd gone up and down that elevator so much. Uh, I'll bet. But it, it, was about, it was brilliant. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and, and you don't do anything that, with Milt Ritter that wasn't brilliant. Uh, yeah. It was about where you stood as you divided the elevator when you came up, uh, yep. that you, you yep. didn't talk uh that you you looked at the numbers and and it was a it was about a physicality um
1: well and as i recall it was you know depending on how many people are in the elevator this is the (laughs) dynamic and and yeah where they look and where they don't look and oh yeah it, it was just wonderful
0: well thank you um i that's not one that I have. I have a few that are online. I think I might have it on a DVD. So if I, I, I'll try to find it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to involve an attic trip. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great, I mean, speaking of Milt Ritter, one of the, I mean, all of us, I think, who worked with him had the wonderful opportunity to do some unique, different stories. Uh, Milt and I did a story one time where we, this probably was for First at Four, we knocked on people's doors in neighborhoods and asked them if we could come in and see their refrigerator magnets.
0: I remember that story and it was awesome. And they all let us in. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Larry. This is Milt. We got a camera. We're just looking at what you got in your refrigerator. Come on in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, you know, it had to be first at four because I can't imagine anybody else allowing us to do it, although Regan would have. But I mean, and it, it just and because of milk shooting and timing and all those things, it was just a brilliant piece on just this crazy, crazy concept
0: that everybody could relate to. And it actually right. it actually told a story about the people in the family in that home.
1: Right. Exactly. And that was the concept, right? The yeah. concept is you can tell all you need to know about a person and a family based on the magnets on their refrigerator. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, and I, uh, I, I think as I, I remember that story now that you mention it, uh, I, I thought of a, a follow-up that I, I, I never did, but and you guys probably should have done it is, -- is you should have done the same thing about what's in people's junk drawers.:
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be a great one. You know, the, good, sc- the
0: good scissors and all that kind of stuff. So, um, well, I, I, one of the things I want to tell you, Larry, is, is I, uh, a couple things, actually. But, uh, I, you know, I came out of a sports background into news. And, and Phil Winstrand was the news director who allowed me to make that transition. Right. Um, and I really came in just as, as a, a feature reporter, uh, right. which was fine. That's what I love doing. Uh, But I I think you were a great mentor to me uh, because I, at at some point I had to transition from just being a feature reporter to being a news reporter and a journalist. Uh, And I, and I did that by watching you, you, I mean, you were, I mean, we're close in age, but you were a little bit of a father figure because I felt like I came in as this really young new uh, reporter into a newsroom out of a sports department and either by conversations that we had as friends and colleagues or just by watching you, um, I I think that helped me develop into a a journalist, which I'm proud to say I became and was, but I wasn't when I was started. I was a sports reporter that could write good feature stories. And so I had to get from point A to point B. I really think that you helped me do that. I was glad you were in the newsroom for that.
1: Well, thank you. I I appreciate that. And um, I'm humbled by that comment because I always looked at you as a really good journalist, and because I started in sports too, by the way, a very brief period of time in in Eureka, California, where I started my career, uh, because I went to Humboldt State University. Um, I started to do Well, actually, I started my first job for a couple of months was weather, and then I, I transitioned to sports, and then I realized the math and the economics that, wow, I'm looking around, and there are 10 times as many news people as there are sports people, so maybe it makes more sense to go into news. So I started there, and I actually started my writing in college and my reporting in TV around sports, and good writing and good reporting is, is good writing and reporting in any setting. Whether it's in sports or whether it's in news, so I, I'm honored to say that I was some type of role model for you. But you know, you we could turn you loose on anything, and you would put together a really good, solid piece, if not a highly memorable piece, like writing up and down on elevators.
0: Well, I, I remember the uh, you know w- when they moved me into that, I was I was going to be doing feature stories, and then I remember when. Uh, uh, executive producer or producer, remember, Cynthia Griffin. Uh, mm. uh, you know, they, we were assigning things and I wasn't busy at the time and they needed somebody to go cover a court case. And, and, and Cynthia wasn't aware of this deal I made that I'm gonna do feature stories. And she, she sent me that direction. And I, I, I just, I stuttered in front of her. I, I don't, I've never been in a courtroom. I, 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 uh, I believe Tim Herman was with me and, wa- and baby stepped me through, you know. It wasn't a complex yeah. case. It was just, they were, they were finishing things up and I had to interview people leaving, but I was scared to death. Yeah, my first court court case <laughs>
1: well and my guess is carl as you went through that experience and emerged out of that experience you you went oh the rules are the same it's the five w's and an h what's my lead <laughs> yeah. throw in a quote
0: it's we're the good post, to go it's the post game interview of a blazer game it just happened to be coming out of a courtroom instead
1: well and and think about it carl You and I both, you more than I, focused a lot on feature stories. That's actually a more challenging story to tell in that a straight ahead news story, whether it's a court case or a city council meeting, that's really clear. I mean, you know, this, this is what they're doing, and here are some sound bites, and here's what's going to happen next. A feature story, you can go in a multitude of different directions on that, and it's up to the reporter and the videographer to really figure out what's the best way to tell this story, and, and that's what was fun with those. Yeah,
0: and sometimes you didn't know what the story was until you got there. Right. I mean, you right. had an idea. Here's what I'm going to get, and then you get there, and all of a sudden, there's this left turn, and right. that... That usually ends up being the gem.
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because I still uh, coach a lot of people I, with what I'm doing now. But one of the things I talk about for people who are doing interviews is I talk about you got to listen because the majority of the time, the nugget, the the what's going to really set this story apart is going to be something you didn't think about. And something that comes out of the interview and something that somebody says where you go, oh, I'm going to follow that thread. And mm-hmm. I'm going to get more into that. And there is my hook for yeah. this story. And if you're worried about what
0: next question you're going to ask because you have a list of questions and you didn't hear that, you missed it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's why, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a classic uh, Ted Koppel interview years and years ago by the way you know who's still around doing stuff on cbs sunday morning but uh ted koppel and i think you and walden may have touched on this but you know he always said for his interviews on nightline they asked him how many questions yeah one he prepared one question yeah it was the opening question and from there he listened and it just evolved
0: yeah and if you don't believe that he's one of the greatest tv interviewers of all time when he with nightline so yeah yeah so you mentioned what you're doing now. Um, you, you left KGW in 90-something and you went to- 2000. Intel. 2000. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. 2000. Uh, and then you went to uh, Intel and you had a great career there. Uh, yeah. As uh, you were director of their communications.
1: I was the director of employee communications. So the, in, the organization that does news and information sharing internally. I mean, in, Intel has an intranet site. Uh, with news and information. You know, Walden, our friend Walden still works on that today. You
0: you stole Walden away from us. but (laughs) I did. I did. I stole
1: Walden away. And I did, at the time, Intel had these quarterly meetings that were run by the CEO, where he would inform employees about things that were going on. And I always produced a video, kind of a news magazine, a 15-minute video for that, working with our friend Tim Herman, uh, videographer at Channel 8, who I also stole. And so uh, I I did that. And then I ran this organization of, at one time, roughly 100 people Hmm. uh, worldwide, who were doing communications for employees in all these different parts of the world. And then that was for 13 years. And then the last three years I left in 2016, the last three years I ran what was called and is called the executive keynote group. So it was the group that produced and put on stage all of the keynotes that the executives did at Consumer Electronics Show or other big events around the world, Uh, which was very cool because what it did is it allowed me to leverage all of the broadcasting skills because that, you know, in in essence, it's a presentation just like Mm -hmm. we did every day. It's creating and structuring a story. We did it in the time frame of a minute 30 or four minutes. They're doing it in the time frame of 30 minutes or an hour. And because I had so much experience doing on-air stuff and in front of audiences, I was able to help them with their presentation skills at the same time so yeah it was a great career at intel
0: and did uh uh, i'm guessing that that was a, a pandemic affected here in the last year or so
1: well for me interestingly enough no so i left intel in 2016 and i started my own company yeah and i still my primary client is intel which has been wonderful they you know, they say, hey, Larry, we need help on this keynote, we need help on some uh, communications thing. And I assume, Carl, that business was just going to fall off a cliff. But it has not. And the reason it has not is, is that in the pandemic, communications has become more important than ever, not just not just writing stories or doing speeches, but just communication overall has become more important. And the one thing as former journalists that we often don't give ourselves enough credit for is we're really good at communicating, not just telling stories and not just writing a minute 30 story and weaving in video and interviews, but we're really good at understanding how to connect with people in in a setting like this, for instance. And that's, that's a skill that most people out there in the business world don't have. And it's something that we just innately have, which drew us, I think, to journalism in the first place. And it's a skill that's extremely valuable. And so, so people have come to me and said, hey, we're struggling with this. They struggle with what we're doing right now, mm-hmm. how to look good, how to sound good on a video conference, because that's an unnatural act for most people. It's a very natural thing for you and me. But not for most people. If they're not face to face with someone, you know, they're they're down over here in the corner, <laughs> or you know, something like this, or they have bad audio or bad lighting or something. Or so.
0: they leave their cat filter on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am not a cat. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so so you've been busy then with that?
1: Yeah. Over the last
0: year and a half, then, huh?
1: Surprisingly so. Surprisingly so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing, Carl, is the great thing about this technology in particular is you can connect with anybody anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it just that much easier and broadens the whole uh, potential client base, if you will, of people Mm -hmm. that I can work with.
0: Yeah. I had a fun zoom call about a month ago with uh, uh, my brother uh, and one of my best friends from high school, who's a sportscaster in Australia and our, and our basketball coach from high school, who's in his seventies now. And wow. the, the, uh, and another guy too, and we had, and we talked for three hours, reliving our high school basketball lives and what we've been doing. And you know, one of them was Ed, well Ed Wyatt, who who was the host of uh, PM Magazine, uh, oh, yeah. while at KGW. That's Ed, and he's in Australia now. So we all did we all did that. So you know, couldn't have done That's that great. without this yeah. technology. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, the other thing I wanted to tell you, Larry, and this there's a little bit of a story that goes into it, but. <clears throat> I always felt that um, a newsroom needed uh, newsrooms needed good leaders. And I'm not talking about the news director. Um, They, they, uh, they needed uh, leaders from amongst the, 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 the working class, I guess. Um, And, and I've always thought, you know, in coaching basketball, they always say that your, your best player has to be your hardest worker. If, if, if they're not, you're going to have some issues. Um, right. But, you know, I always thought that the, the, the anchor of the newscast has, has to be a good leader. And if they're not, then it's, you know, you're all doing your work and then it's the, it's the person on the air. Um, and I always thought Tracy was a great leader. Um, yeah. A quiet, subtle leader, and especially for the women in our newsroom, uh, either, yeah. either journalistically, but also just personally. I think if women in our newsroom had issues, they could come to Tracy, and she would help, and she would lead them in a in a right way. Um, there were other people that I didn't think were great leaders, but I, I thought you were our. I thought you were that person for us for a good ten years in that newsroom. Uh, you weren't the main anchor, but you were that utility infielder guy. But journalistically, uh, if, if we had some issues, I could come to you, Walden could come to you, anybody would come and, and we could talk it out and, and, and figure it out and figure where are we going to go with this? Who do we talk to to make it go on? Um, and, 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 I just, and, I, and in other issues that went on in our newsroom, uh, you were that stable guy uh, that, that kind of led us. Uh, and you know we had a we had a real big problem there with an abusive news director for several yeah. years, um, yeah. and I thought that that your leadership during that, I'm not sure if you were the actual union stop, shop steward. I was. I but, was the okay. shop steward at the time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: was critical for that newsroom surviving.
1: Well, thank you. I I really appreciate that. And you know I've always been someone who cared about everybody in an environment. So it's not about the people at the top, it's about everybody because without the reporters and without the producers and without the editors, you don't have a newscast. And so that, that, that was always my, my attitude. And, you know, I've got this thing and I guess it's from my upbringing or something of always wanting to do the right thing and trying to do the right thing on behalf of people. And the union steward job was a perfect opportunity uh, to do that. And we went through, we went through there some tough times. Um, yeah, I was on the forefront of that situation with the bad news director and a variety of other situations. So I, I appreciate that. And, and I'm honored that you remember me and think of me that way. And by the way, you mentioned Tracy Berry. And I couldn't agree with you more. She was, she was somebody who was a huge supporter of the union, although it did nothing for her. Mm-hmm. because she had her own personal services contract she fought a multitude of journalistic battles with uh news directors and producers about doing the right thing and reporting in the right way and she always defended the journalistic integrity of our newscasts and our newsroom and, and, what the, what and strict- she did it in a what's that
0: the strength of her doing that is she did exactly yeah. as you said yeah. but she did it without the theatrics of look at me right. i'm i'm defending right. this great cause right. she right. Uh, she did it the right way
1: yeah and i you know my guess is there were probably people in that newsroom who didn't realize the impact that she was having because she was so low key about it you're right she didn't boast she didn't brag She just went about ensuring to the best of her ability that we were doing the right thing and that we were putting a strong product on the air and that we were treating people well. You know, I don't know if you know that, but know this, but uh, that issue we had with that news director who we eventually had walked out the door, uh, she played a huge role in that. And she she attended Mm -hmm. meetings at our lawyer's office and she was on the forefront of that whole battle.
0: Yeah, and that's, uh, I remember there was a meeting. I mean, we're all working, you know, 10 hour days, and we're, we're this, this. this I, I think it's fair to call it abusive, not just to reporters, yeah. but to everybody in the newsroom. Right. We all ended up in Gene Mechanics' office one night, yeah, uh, to so we could figure out yeah. where we're going to approach things. And Tracy was there. Other yeah. people were not there, but Tracy right. was there. And, yeah. and I think that gave the, uh, the group the courage, yeah, the courage to step forward and do what was very difficult was to take a stand uh, against this person with uh, the company. Uh, and if, if, if she wasn't there, I think we would have had a hard time being successful and going forward. But if she gave everybody the courage to step forward, tell their stories and to, to set in process, you know, the process was to get this person help so that they could, you know, change their ways that didn't work and eventually uh he was removed for good reason and if you want more on watch my Walden Kirsch interview anybody watching because we're a little bit more specific about that
1: Um, yeah yeah so you know it's interesting Carl, because I was the shop steward so was the uh, de facto you know leader on paper but tracy was the leader really when it came to as you said her influence in that situation and giving us the courage to move forward with it because it would have it was it was a very different situation then than it is now in fact i thought after watching your interview with walden and reliving that i realized what happened then if it happened now that person would have been walked out the door right away Mm -hmm. in this current environment when you're looking at harassment and hostile work environment and all that stuff there would have been one episode and they'd have probably been out the door but that went on for weeks and weeks and months yeah
0: uh i was uh, i was this close to leaving uh jill yeah. and i had discussed that i can't keep working here if of this and, and we're going to go do something else and stuff like that and i remember again visually i remember where i was when i walked in the door the back door coming up after shooting a story and there was this bustle and somebody came up and said uh, he's fired. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. the relief. Yeah. I, I, Larry, I told this to Walden. I remember embracing you. I yeah. remember. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember us holding each yeah. other. I mean, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't, wasn't going to be tears, but there was such relief and joy that here are two men probably, you know, in their early 40s or whatever, embracing each other. Uh, right. Like I hadn't embraced a man in my life for years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 Well, I can we still were...
0: remember this, your aftershave, Larry. <laughs> it, was that, <laughs> it was that intimate.
1: <laughs> well, we were, you know, boy, you talk about, something uniting people behind a common enemy boy that was one there wasn't a single person i think in that newsroom who didn't want that news director to leave and boy the emotional toll it took on us which obviously came out in a really big hug (laughs) once he was walked out the door
0: (laughs) no Oh, well, you know, Larry, uh, I haven't seen you in, uh, in about three years. I think you've always had that wonderful event at your house for media people once a year. And uh, I think I, I missed it in, for one year and then we didn't have it last year because of the pandemic. So I, I hope that will be uh, replenished here when, when everybody has their vaccines and we can go do that again. It's always good to see friends yourself and your wife, Rosie. And if not that, this is a, this is a great venue and I, I've loved chatting with you, buddy. It's, it's great to relive old memories.
1: Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity, Carl. And it's great to, to catch up with you and see you. And I hope that we can do this less formally, uh, not just the good old days, but stay in touch. And I'll definitely let you know when the next media party occurs and you got to come over and make sure you attend.
0: I will do that. And there will be another embrace.
1: <laughs> All right.